Welcome to Subculture. This is a podcast about the many unique, varied, and sometimes little-known groups that people find themselves relating to in our society. In today's world, everything runs on culture. Who you are, what you believe in, what you think about yourself, and the way we relate to the world is all defined by the choices we make and the people we choose to spend time with. How do we decide where we belong? Have you ever thought about changing who you are? Have you ever thought about joining a club, a group, a gang, or a clique? What makes us who we are? What makes us decide where to fit in? That's what this podcast will explore. Every week, I will interview an individual from a different subculture and try to get at the thing that makes them tick. Good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to thank you all for joining me for another episode of Subculture. This week, I'm here interviewing my friend Amber Singletary. Amber is a staff writer, television writer. Amber, hi. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm uh, I'm very interested to hear about the world of television writing, um, the unionization of all of that, and what's going on with like all the strikes and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, so cool. I, I ask everyone to, to start off by just introducing yourself, name, age, if you're comfortable with that, where you're from, where you live, you know, just like a basic introduction. Yeah. So I'm Amber Singletary. I'm 29 years old, uh, gearing up for the big one here, but I'm 29. I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland, born and raised, and I am now located in New York, New York, chasing my dreams. Yeah, and I met and I met you. We met each other in New York. You were doing a stand up comedy bit in a stand up comedy club that I happened to be at when I was yes. on my little uh, mini vacation this weekend, and I met you. So you're also a comedian. Yes, I am that. I'm a stand up comedian by night, babysitter by day, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, television writer when uh, when you're working. When they when they let us, yeah, I'm a television writer when when time allows for it. <laughs> so you grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Tell me about your life. What were you, what was your life like as a little kid? Yeah, so I grew up um, Baltimore with my mom and dad. Love them. Um, I'm the youngest of three. I actually played basketball my entire life. So from the time I was probably four to 22, I was playing basketball. I played at Ole Miss, played basketball at Ole Miss. And then when I finished at Ole Miss, I didn't know how to do anything else. So I was like, oh, let's stall. Um, And I got my master's degree, which I was like, oh, okay, then you got to use this thing. So after that, I left, was in Baltimore for a little bit. a friend of mine, uh, this is such a cliche, a friend of mine, all my friends were like, oh, you're so funny. You should try stand up. And I was like, no. <laughs> so then finally my best friend, her mom was a manager for a comedian in town. And I was like, how would one start stand up if they wanted to like do it? And she was like, oh, you just come on Thursday. Mind you, it was like Tuesday. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Great. And she was like, you'll get five minutes. Just talk for five minutes. Now that is a vast understatement for what comedy is but that's what she told me and I went and it'll be five years in July since then and I've been doing all right <laughs> so it must have gone pretty good for you to do it again <laughs> you didn't oh, totally yeah. so, it again. the first time <laughs> I, 
did stand up, I think the expectation is so low. I killed, and then I bombed for like two months straight. Immediately after, I just bombed straight up for two months every single show, and I was just like, "Wow, it, this is humbling." It's it's funny. I have I've so it's it's funny. I've had a couple of comedians actually on this show. It seems to be like a, a trend in my podcast. Mm-hmm. But I had a, a another guy, uh, this Rich Chastler that I interviewed. Uh, he's been a stand up comedy forever. He told me like his first time out when he was like a young man in his twenties, he just like did so great. And then after that, he bombed for two years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like bomb. And you're just like, wow, this hurts. And I was never like a humble human to be honest. So I was like, this is a lot. <laughs> what, what made you become a writer? You're a, so you're a television writer. How'd you get into writing? Everything I've done has been very like in the moment. Um, like just by chance, somebody's like, you should do this. And I'm like, I, I don't know if it's gullible ignorance or like me thinking that people are leading me to my destiny, whatever it is, it's delusional either way. But I was uh, doing comedy and I actually was the black women in comedy festival in New York. I did the, that in 2021. And okay. uh, that was actually when I decided I was like, oh, I need to move to New York if I'm ever going to be good at this. Like, I need to figure out how to get to New York. So in 2021, I went to the Black Women in Comedy Festival, which is funny. Um, that's this week. I'm doing it again. But um, right. I met this girl named Natalie who was from D.C. And I knew her from D.C. And um, she was late for her show. And I was like, oh, my God, she like had like her hair wrapped and all this stuff. So I was like, oh, my God, do you need help like taking your hair down? She was like, sure. So I, what I didn't know was she was late because she was a writer for a TV show and they got off late. And so the next year they need writers. And she goes, hey, um, I don't know if you like would want to write on TV, but I'm like, yeah, who wouldn't want to freaking write on TV? Um, she's like, we are hiring. So she goes like, submit your work and we'll, you know, my boss will look at it. And I'm like, what? Like, what the fuck work is she talking? I'm like, what work? Like, I just stand up and talk. And she's like, yeah, like, send me some of your writing samples. I'm like, I don't have that. So then I'm like asking her what to submit. I submit it. And like a week later, I'm on an interview with her boss. Her boss is like, what else have you submitted to? I'm like, nothing. Like, I'm, I literally am just fumbling my way through life. And um, I got the job. And uh, at the time, I was like, wow, I've never made this much money. So I moved, picked up, moved to New York. And God bless. They said, hey, guess what? It's a writer's strike. Congratulations. Oh, so I guess- man. So, so to become a writer for a television show, you have to join a union. Is that right? Yeah, so um, depending on the show, like you basically there's certain gigs, mostly all of them. If you're going to write for anything on major network or anything else, they fall under the writer's guild, like basically jurisdiction kind of thing. So yeah. once you write for a TV show, there's a, there's a certain amount of, um, like time. I think it's like, you have to make a certain amount of money from writing. And it's like a, it's like a time, it's literally like $5,000 for the year, which is you make that Uh in a week, but like you, you do that. And then you have to join because um, that's the only way you'll have insurance. So like as a writer, Uh you're technically a freelance worker, but you know, you work for whatever company you're writing for, but to ensure that you don't only, I mean, cause I only write 13 weeks a year. So if I go with their insurance, I'm only going to have insurance for 13 weeks. So the guild protects you and gives you insurance and in situations like this where nobody is 
being paid what we should be paid, they kind of make it so like, hey, we need to step back and reevaluate these things that are at play. So the show that you write for is an HBO show, correct? Yes. Do you work as so is your employer HBO or is your employer the show? I'm I'm just kind of curious how that it's works. It's very interesting. Okay, so I work I'm I'm technically I work for HBO, but under the HBO umbrella, there's Jax Media, who is producing the show I write on, and then there's Natural Hair Productions, which is this is a mouthful, the production company of the creator of the show. So basically, if you are a TV network, you go out, you find somebody, you're like, hey, we want to give you a show. Um, that person has a production company or creates one in the moment. And um, you work under that production company under the umbrella of all these other powers. It seems, you know, yeah, that seems like a lot. <laughs> like, that, that, you know, it's a little confusing. Unless you're in that world. Yeah, exactly. I think it's I think it's convoluted for that reason. I think um, because in times like these, it's very hard to know who to blame because you're like, well, I work for you. And they're like, well, no, we work for them. And then that company's like, no, but we work for them. So it's like <laughs> you never really are talking to the boss, if that makes sense. Now, this strike's been going on for a little bit, right? Oh, yeah. Seven weeks as of Monday. Seven weeks, day two. That must be tough to be um, out of work for seven weeks. Oh, my gosh. So I would have been going back to work uh, Monday, last Monday, um, if we were on not on strike. And, yes, it's very hard because you already – so if I write for 13 weeks, right, you know, then they go after write that, they film the show. So you're off for the time they film the show. You don't get paid while they're filming the show. So as soon as the 13 weeks are done – your money's done. Now they pay you a lot of money. So in theory, they think that should last. But if you're a human being that I don't even know has a car or anything or like, like, you know, food, things like that. Um, it's not a lot to live off of to live off of 13 weeks of money for 52 weeks is insane. But um, especially when they're striking. So like there's, you know, there's funds and stuff like to help writers. And mo- most of us really just apply for unemployment because that's all you can do. <laughs> Try to find another job and just, you know, tell the tale of, I'm actually a writer. I'm doing this for fun. <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what's the reason that um, all of the writers went on strike? So basically to put it, to generalize it, um, the top, the people at the top, they make billions, right? They make billions off of these shows. They make a lot of money. Um, we are probably being paid less than 2% of what they're making. So what we're asking for is still less than 2% of what they're making. And really, the strike is also to prevent AI from being able to write shows and you don't need writers to prevent um, micro rooms, which is like what I'm in, technically a 13-week room, um, because basically you pack all this work into 13 weeks. I mean, we're working 12-hour days sometimes, like just to try to meet the deadline that the network has. And it's like, you know, you could just give the show more time to be written. Like, it's not like, like it's they try to pack it in so that you only work for a certain amount of time. And it's really like to just make it so writers like me and people in between rooms can survive so that you can make a career writing. I mean, a lot of people write 
don't make enough money to last the whole year. So they stop and they're just like, you know, I'm just going to get a, a job where I don't have to do this. <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I get that. I mean, uh, yeah. And I, 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 I was assuming that it had to do with the pay scale of writers as to why everybody would choose to go on strike. Oh yeah. The other thing that you mentioned and that I was very interested in talking to you about was the the rise of AI, which is, um, you know, which is disrupting a lot of people's employment all over. Well, the world. Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like AI is not, you know, this fight we're fighting. Eventually, I feel that every job place is going to have some type of strike like this if they have a union in place. I mean, you know, you can get on. AI, like I, you know, I'm also a social media manager, like my, my degree is in marketing and, and communications. Okay. And, uh, you know, part of my job, I used to work at Johns Hopkins university in Baltimore. And part of my job was making captions, doing copy. Mm-hmm. There's apps where I can, the copy I used to take two hours to think of and write, I can be like, make me copy. That's like this. And it gives it to me in 30 seconds. I can't yeah. compete yeah. with that. And I and the sad thing is like the more time we are on strike before it was like AI is not smart enough to write a script because it's like it studies everything that it has. It just studies information that we give it. But people use it every day. So every day just gets smarter and smarter and smarter to the point where like, you know, South Park has an episode that was written by AI already, like just to see, you know, because but that's because South Park has so many episodes. AI can study that and, you know, make an episode, but it's just, it's just kind of inevitable. Um, It's just keeping that monster under control and saying, Hey, we understand this machine is not stopping, but at least can you make it so writers have to be present so that we don't diminish a whole career path. So it's a very interesting subject. And uh, I think a lot of people are like, you know, trying to wrap their head around it all. In fact, I told you that I interviewed another comedian on this show, that Rich Chastler guy. Yeah. The next day, I had the idea, let me ask AI to write a stand-up comedy routine. So I went into that GPT and I asked it to write me a stand-up comedy routine. And after three or four iterations of it, I had a pretty funny you like stand-up yeah. It was totally produced by AI. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean... Yeah, you can't argue with the science of it. It just is like you can't you can't do anything. You just gotta hope that people are like, "Hey, this is bad." But Netflix is like, "Oh, we know where this is going." And I mean, big networks that are mass producing content. You know, it used to you used to watch what was on TV. Whatever's on TV, that's what we're watching. Now there's a need for constant entertainment. It's like. You take somewhere like Netflix where they're like, okay, you know what? Instead of waiting 13 weeks to produce a show, let's have AI write a bunch of shows. And then we just have a bunch of content on our, on our platform that we don't have to outsource for anybody. We don't have to pay anybody. We can just do it. in house. And that's where I think Netflix is the hardest, like the, the biggest stopper in this strike as far as like who we're negotiating with and like what we're trying to get netflix is the one that's like eh, we're not into it <laughs> so okay i want to back up just a little bit i um I, i'm interested in in um, in this perspective from you this subculture of tv writer what does that look like in in reality so when you become a tv writer 
what happens? I mean, you're not sitting at a desk by yourself. You're talking about a writer's room. There's a bunch of people. It's a team. Well, of yeah. Well, you know, what's funny. I actually was sitting in a room by myself because my room is because of COVID my room. Uh. Um, <laughs> like literally it's like uh, the, the, not a real experience, but um, yeah. my room is LA based, but um, it was a remote room because of COVID they had to shut down the room. So it was remote. It was very different than any other writer's room experience from what I heard from the other girls, but also even just having to, cause I'm a, I'm a stand-up comedian. I make my bits by myself. I, I don't, when I, when I'm trying to figure out whether something's funny, that's me telling the joke to a crowd. If it doesn't get good feedback, it doesn't get good feedback sitting in a room with people and you're constantly just like, what about this? And they're like, no, that's not funny. That it's just, you have to literally let go of your ego in such a way that I can't explain <laughs> because you are, I mean, you are pulling like from the depths of nowhere shit that you've never thought of. You're like, what about this? And people are like, eh, that's, that's, that sucks. Not and you're like, good. okay, <laughs> like, am I funny? Is this, is this all bullshit? How, how, so you, you mentioned your ego. Yeah. How do you, uh, how does one, how does one, uh, get centered with their ego and like, you know, squared up with themselves enough to be able to like sit in a room with people and take that kind of criticism. So by the grace of God, I always had coaches, right? Coaches that were like, I mean, when you play SEC basketball, it's like, Hey, that's shitty. That sucks. Blah, blah, blah. And you never in your <laughs> life. I'm like, I've never had anybody tell me I was bad at anything. So then you like go to, you know, you go play D1 sports. But the, I, I I truly thank God for that experience now because at first I was like, oh, I hated it. I was like, dude, college basketball is crazy. They are just yelling at you. But now that I'm like older and I'm in this career path, I'm like, oh, okay. This I have to put myself in the same mindset of like, okay, all right, well, what's next? Like you just, it has to be, what's what's funnier what's the next thing because if you dwell yeah. on it you will you will crumble i mean you spend days <laughs> editing a sketch that might get cut as soon as you read it like it might be you read it out loud to the table hbo execs be like that's not funny cut it and you just spent a week working on it and you're like okay <laughs> <laughs> is it is it like a shock to the system to go from whatever it was you were doing before to, to that, like the first couple yes, of weeks? It was, I was brutally confused. I was actually, when I first started writing, I was still doing both jobs. So I would work mm-hmm. at Johns Hopkins from 8 to 12. The room okay. was um, LA based. So it would start at 12. And then I would work from 12 to 10 or 12 to 12, 12 to 2 a.m. You just never know. But yeah. like, submitting a graphic and being like, Hey guys, do you like this for mental health week? And then being like, Hey y'all, this is the funniest thing I've ever said in my life. And they're like, that sucks. And it's not funny at all. It's like the most <laughs> biggest culture shock I've ever seen. I'm going to work and people are like, wow, you're so talented. And then at night they're like, dude, you are an idiot. Like that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That's brutal. So, so this team of writers that you're working with, is it pretty tight knit? Is that a tight knit group? Yes. So we were close. So the show I write for a black lady sketch show, we are the only all black woman room in history of TV. In the history of TV, there's never been a room with no way in the history. No of way. TV. Really? We're the only, 
We are the first and only. This show is the first and only show ever. Ever. That's history, baby. That's history right there. That's good stuff. History is is nuts. History is crazy. And (laughs) making history, I without a doubt realize, is a shit show. And (laughs) And you're just doing it for the next, right? So it's like, you know, we sit here and we do these things so that people after us, like, there won't ever be people saying, oh, we were in the first writer's room with all black women. It'll be more rooms with all black women. It'll be more all Asian rooms, all Jewish rooms, all whatever niche group rooms. It'll be all of that. But with that, you know, it's also a clashing of cultures because it's like, okay, we're in a room. I'm in a room with women from Iowa, from New York, from Chicago, from Detroit, from places I've never been. We're all sharing experiences. We're at some point sitting here for 10 hours. So, you know, let's be real. We're tired of each other. Like, it's just like, you have to, you have to build camaraderie to even get through that. Cause like you will end up being like, I don't want to ever write TV again. If anybody ever asks me, I will not, I'll be an accountant or something, but. (laughs) So you got this show and how's, how's the show going that you're working on? Is it? um, It's good. It's good. So the show every year is nominated for Emmys. It's a sketch show. So, we're nice. going up against SNL every year for an Emmy, but it's nice to be nominated. Um, What's show, the name I mean, of the show, in case somebody's called, listening? So it's called A Black Lady Sketch Show. People, when I say that, they're always like, no, seriously, tell me what it's called. I'm like, no, I'm not I'm not being a gatekeeper. It's really called A Black Lady Sketch Show. Um, right that's yeah. by um, creator Robin Thede, who is um, a genius. She's the bomb. Um, she... Had a show on the rundown uh, on BET. It was called The Rundown with Robin Thede. She was like, she's the first ever uh, black woman to be a head writer on a late night talk show. So she just took her experiences and made her own room and let us all in there by the grace of God. And we are all trying our best. Um, She's currently everybody. I mean, currently everybody's in L.A. striking while I'm here on my couch. watching. (laughs) You know what? It's a. It's a fabulous life. How do you like living in New York City? I love New York. I love New York. It is so busy. It's always something to do. I think it smells like pee constantly, which is something <laughs> I'm so not accustomed to. I definitely just, need to work on that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I know for a fact whenever I see a puddle like at home, I'm like, oh, okay, it must have rained. Here I'm like, somebody peed. And like, I know it was recent. I was on my last trip to New York, which was about a month ago. I was there and I literally watched a woman pull down her panties, sit on the curb and pee into the gutter <laughs> in front of like thousands of people. Cause it was oh raining. Time. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I, like, I had my first bout with human feces on the subway, like on new year's. And I literally was like, I don't know. I think that was the time when I was like, they weren't sure if there was going to be a strike. And I was just like, is this supposed, is this my life? Am I supposed to be surrounded by human feces in public spaces for the rest of my life? Is this what it's going to be? But you get used to it, unfortunately. <laughs> well, uh, aside from the human waste that we're, we're talking about in New York, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's the greatest city in the world. I love New York. Like every time I go up there, I wish I lived there. I don't know if I actually would like living there, but it's super easy to go there. So, Honestly, the comfort of space 
in the South is something I miss. Like just actual like space, like a yard. My wife and I had this conversation and she likes having space. I do too. And I mean, we, you know, we, so we do, we cherish that, but it's super easy to go to the city from where we live. It's an hour and a half direct flight. It's not expensive. And then, and you know, there's easy. a million places to say, so it's super easy. So instead of living there, we can just enjoy it's going like there. Seriously like, through the airport. <laughs> I have to deal with every day. So when you guys decided to all go on strike, how does that get filtered into like down to you? You know, like how do you find out like, oh, we're going on strike? I guess there's Yeah, talk. oh my God. Yeah. So I was like, first of all, I was like, are we serious? But um so it goes to vote. They vote they put out a ballot in your writers, like you sign into your writers portal or whatever, and then Gail yeah. sends you an email it's like, Hey, know. we're trying to authorize a strike. Now with it being a union, you have to get a certain amount of the union to vote yes to striking. You can't strike if if it's sixty percent of the the union's like, No, we cannot strike, we can't afford it, like we you know, you can't. So we got like a ninety eight percent like people wanting wanting to strike to redo this contract. Um, I think the, the contract hasn't been redone since like 08. So oh. a lot of the streaming platform services are not included in the contract. So you vote. Um, once the authorization gets passed, you wait. And then the guild starts authorizing locations, figuring out how we're going to strike, what we're going to shut down. Um, how many shifts a day there's going to be. And you basically just follow it all in your email. The guild makes it really easy. And they send, you know, there's, there's strikes every, every borough, every, like anywhere you are, there's strikes at 5am, there's strikes at, that end at 9pm. Like there's, you can strike you, they make sure you can use your voice if you are in the guild. Huh. I mean, I guess that's good. <laughs> it's nice yeah, to have I, a voice. Guess, I guess so. Yeah. I'm like, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be part of something, it is good to feel part of it, I guess. What? Well, how long? How much longer do you expect that this is going to go on? We don't know. Um, so I'm prepared for it to last until the winter. Um, it could be that long with, um, again, these are like never before thought about things they have to discuss. Um, like, you know, the the last time this contract was rewritten, streaming like wasn't a thing. So like all the residuals were based on, are still based on when your show airs, how many people watch it, which if you know, like how streaming works, that is bullshit because like, what if a million people watch the show tomorrow? You know, what if a million people watch the show next week? It's like, you don't get paid for that right now. So they have to rework all of that and make it make it all make sense and we just have to kind of sit and be like we love this and we're gonna fight together <laughs> while we're all crying through our teeth it seems like there's an evolution in media in general happening in the world you know and i guess yeah. this is a part of it right yeah it's like the robot culture um i think <laughs> i mean I, I think everything goes into media now you know i feel like television and computers right um my my whole life when I was growing up and, and yours I'm sure like they weren't together like it wasn't like when like your computer was like my computer in, that we had in the house was my mom's work and then we watched tv like as a family or whenever like as a, a entertainment it wasn't 
social media impacting television, television impacting social media, all these apps where people, it wasn't all these things. So there's like a rise in instant gratification. I mean, you can go on TikTok and watch whole movies if you care to go to part one, part two. So it's just a rise in how people do things. It's, It's very different. It's very different. Yeah, it's uh, you know, for somebody like like you, I mean, at twenty nine, you know, you like you said, you probably had a computer in your house the whole time you were alive. I would guess, right? Mm-hmm. Like your parents probably had a computer when you were. Baby. Yeah, the dial up connection with the dial up on there. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I didn't even know what a computer was until I was a teenager. Like you know, we never, <laughs> I never even heard of a computer. You know, like <laughs> hey, what is that? We're supposed to sit in front of that thing, and I'm going outside. Now my wife is the same age as you. She's twenty nine, yeah, like, so I like I, telling her stories about what it used to be like when I was a little kid. You know, yeah, you're like it was forty five, thirteen, and twenty four. That was it. You turn the channel, whatever. She's like <laughs> the dial on the TV. That's crazy. As a matter of fact, I remember not even having cable. We had the the bunny ears on top of the TV, and like the the the, the reception would go in and out. You'd have to go adjust the antennas. And I remember one time as a little kid, I, I thought that I would un, undo a coat hanger and stick it down into the TV to like try to get it to work better. And it like electrocuted me. <laughs> my, brother. my older brother is 17 years older than me. So we had like, I mean, just like night and day different childhoods. Like I remember him getting so mad at me and my sister because we were complaining about putting the dishes in the dishwasher. You know, he's like, dude you guys like i didn't even have like <laughs> what you guys are complaining about the dishwasher like i was the dishwasher are you kidding <laughs> i don't think i've had a dishwasher in my house until <laughs> <laughs> you're like no that's a luxury but yeah but yeah i mean that's like uh i mean to your point you know media has um you know media has like like all of it's gotten so instant now like you can create media almost instantly and produce it, you know, like, you know, I, and I do, I mean, I make vlogs and, you know, I make videos and drones and, you know, show would have been back in the day, like you doing something like this, like it's not, you would have been like, okay, you got to come to my house. We're going right. to sit. And <laughs> like, it's like, it's so life has just moved so fast. And I think we're at a point where technology jumps quick. Like, in my head, when it the time it took like for to get from like computers to iPads to me was like a long time. Now yeah. to get to the next thing is not that much of a window. It's like, oh now yeah. this. Oh now the cars drive themselves. Oh now guess what? You don't have to make anything. Oh now you want a VR headset that you can look at your phone through? Sure. We have that. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that? So you're talking about the Apple Vision that just got, oh my god, uh, it terrifies me. But I want one so bad. But it scares me. But so they're so much. expensive. It's three thousand dollars. <laughs> here on damn writer strike has no business having one. So if you ever see me with one, just know I didn't pay rent or eat that month. But everybody that's saying it's so expensive is like, here, take my money. I want one. Yeah, they're like. <laughs> Anybody would ever get this? Hi, um, can I have a loan for five thousand dollars? Just for it. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, I would want to stay up with the times, or I'll just find a rich friend and use theirs and see what it's like, just so I can experience it. Absolutely. <laughs> 
So you're a cog in the wheel of this production of, of yeah, media, basically. right? Yeah. <laughs> what what goes into creating a, a a show like the one that you work for? So for 13 weeks, we think of sketches. So like people that watch like SNL, like um, SNL is like a, a show that runs way longer as far as the weeks that it runs. But with our yeah. show, um, we, for 13 weeks, we think of things, we try to, we brainstorm what's going to be relevant. How, what, how many what episodes, is, how many episodes does your show produce in a season? Six episodes, six sketches per episode. So 36 sketches go into the show. We probably write a hundred or over um, as a group, and then we just cut them down. And then after you, so we decide every week you come. No, I'm sorry, every week, please. Every day you come with a new sketch idea. So um, day one, I pitch a sketch. Um, it get a, it gets approved. We go through the room. We're like, that's funny. What if this? What if that? Like we just add on to each other's sketches. You leave the room for the day. You go write your sketch. And then the next day you come, you submitted that sketch. The next day you come with a new sketch idea and then you have to do edits on your old sketch. So you're fixing, you get in your old sketch back and then you're starting to write your new sketch. The next day you have edits on those two sketches. You're making oh a new sketch. God. So it's like, it's constant. It's not, it's never, it's never stopping. And then after we get all the sketches that might make the cut, then we do punch-ups for several hours. So that's, um, we table read each sketch and we add a joke to every line of every sketch, every single, every That's single what line. Punch up is punch up is, yeah, like, punch up is like, Oh, let's add this. Let's add this. What about this for escalation? Let's add this. So then after that, for thir- uh, after that, for about the last five weeks of the show, then we table read for HBO. That's when they decide like, we like that one. We like this one. Maybe if you tweak that one and table read it with us again, we'll like that one. We do that. After they decide what gets cut, once now with the room, if something of yours gets cut, you can have a fighting chance to be like, no, wait, like I believe in this sketch. I really think so. Once HBO cuts it, they don't really give a damn what you believe in. They're like, look, we don't care. So <laughs> we're going to go ahead and cut that. Um, so they, they cut things based on what when they you say HBO, for. they have like some, like some representatives from their side that comes in. Yeah. So they or, have the, yeah. the, the big, the big, the big names up there. Um, I think like uh, Dave Becky is one guy that helps um, yeah, uh, produce nice. our show um, for, I don't want to get anybody's name wrong. So I won't say anybody else's name, but yeah, it's totally um, cool. Yeah. 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 And like, I'm um, just trying to get an idea how all this works. You yeah. Know? So there's, imagine you are sitting there and now all of this is usually done all in the same room. So imagine seven people on laptops in a room execs are all in the same room we're on a screen like a powerpoint presentation and we're table reading sketches for them from our homes as they sit and they're like no and i mean you can watch them be very uninterested in what you're doing because you can tell when a sketch is going well because they're looking but as soon as they're like this you're like damn my life's work (laughs) i'm this moment because this is the last we're gonna hear of this sketch is it demoralizing to, to go through that process i mean it is because like it, the one thing is it's not like you could go it's like say you get hired by another job right i can't use anything that i've ever pitched or said 
in this room. They own it. It is theirs. I have no rights to it. Everything I've said, even the sketches we don't use are theirs. You can never use it again. So that's the part no that's way. like, no damn. way, no way. Yeah. I had no idea. I mean, I guess that makes sense because they're paying you to produce it. So they have like a uh, creative have- license of it all. Oh, yeah. As soon as you pitch it in the room and we like, we have a document that is literally every single sketch that has been pitched in the show's history, not just like made it to the show, anything that's even been pitched. And we have to be like, no, somebody pitched that three years ago. You can't do that. And like, so you have to come, um, our boss, she wants us to come to the room with a hundred sketch ideas. So every year you think of, you have a year to think of like a hundred ideas, which will get, I mean, just, you'll probably end up with 30 by the end of the time you're done. Um, yeah. And yeah. you just go through them and you're like, what about a cowgirl that has a alien connection to like whatever? You, I mean, at, at some point you're just talking nonsense. Right. Just pray God that something sticks. But I mean, after after we write it and it goes up to the, the HBO heavens, um, they do table reads um, with the cast, which so it's funny. We do table reads um, and then the actual real cast does a live table read for the executives. Do you get to see that? Do you get to see the cast? Yeah, I actually got to be a part of it. So we, um, there's six cast members and we had a bunch, a bunch of sketches that had more like guest, guest spots and guest things. So she actually had me and another writer named Naima do the table read with the cast. But it was funny, me and Naima were still on the screen on a computer and they're in the same room. So I'm reading a sketch with people that are in the same room while I'm on a screen like, hi. It's very Does anybody ever get discovered out of the writer's room and get promoted to, to the to the guest? Yeah, to be honest, yeah. I actually got to after doing our first table read, my boss let me audition for the show. Um, but I just don't have a large following on social media. So it, uh, like a lot, I mean, first of all, our cast is like superbly talented and I love them. I'm actually going, I think to grab drinks with one of the girls from the cast while she's in town today. But, um, yeah, you, that's absolutely a chance, you know, cause you're, you're table reading every day. So in my head, I mean, the way I look at it is I'm auditioning every day. That's how I feel. I'm like, okay. Everybody else has a week to audition. I have 13 weeks to audition and we'll give this a, a big try. Why not? Yeah, I mean, you got, uh, I mean, you're, you're a beautiful woman. You're funny. You got, you know, you got a great personality. Like, I'm yeah, sure you can probably. That's all I needed, but somehow I'm still broke on my couch. So. <laughs> and for everybody listening, I can confirm she is on her couch. I don't know. About yes, her. and he can confirm. <laughs> Fact check, fact check. Fact check. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Okay, so then after it gets read and uh, so then they then they start actually they go to production. Yeah, then they go to production. So that so we we were we were able to actually go to set a couple of days and watch them shoot it, but I mean what they're able to do is insane. I mean, we write the show for thirteen weeks. They yeah. only have, because this is a micro room, uh, uh-huh. basically that means a micro room means it's the smallest amount of time a room can be. So 13 weeks for a six episodes uh, series is like the smallest. Um, and then they only have 30 days to shoot the whole show. So from the time we finish writing, they have 30 days to shoot 36 sketches and they got to shoot 
several in a day. They, I mean, they have definitely like 18 hour days. Sometimes it's, I mean, it's brutal. They're getting there at three o'clock to get into hair and makeup and then going, um, they shoot on location. Like, um, we don't have a studio, uh, like SNL has a studio where they can make sketches in their studio. Our boss has to find locations for every single sketch and then go shoot at the location. And that's how it works. What's it like to watch your content getting actually aired on television it's jokes that you wrote content that you wrote like what was that like for you when you first were in this and you started watching the show and you were like i wrote that <laughs> did you tell your friends like i wrote that joke <laughs> you know it feels like that like it feels like that and i didn't think it would feel like that i was like you know whatever it'll just be fun like i watch it with uh, my boyfriend i was watching it with him and every single time i was like i wrote that joke he's like good. <laughs> like, you know, he's just like, wow, like you're very excited. I was really excited. And it's kind of, it's crazy to watch the words you say and then they go on TV or, and then you see in the comments, people like that joke or people resonate with something you wrote or like, or even seeing your name in the credits. That was the best to me. Having people that I haven't talked to in years be like, dude, I was watching this show. Are you this? Is it you? Or is this like somebody else that happens to be named Amber Singletary and insanely funny? I'm like, no, that's me, girl. But anyway. Um, and then you see your name rolling on the credits. <laughs> yeah, you see your name rolling. And then like, um, like I said, I played basketball a lot. So a lot of my TV exposure was like ESPN being on, you know, those kinds yeah. of things. And it was, yeah. I always thought my life would be different. I, you know, I thought I would play overseas or play basketball in the WNBA and be on TV that way. I'm like, life is so funny because I used to always tell people like, I'm going to be on TV one day, but I had no idea in what capacity I thought I was going to be like a WNBA superstar. <laughs> Why didn't you play basketball overseas? What happened? So when I, my junior and senior, so first of all, when I went to play basketball in college, I had four different coaches every year. I had a different coach every year I was in college. Um, that's how college works. When you don't win, they fire you. Or if your staff is doing players' homework, they will fire you. That's kind of how it works. You're not supposed to do that. So yeah, yeah. Um, I had a bunch of different things happen, and I ended up with four coaches. Um, the coach I had my last two years of college, um, I hate to say this, but I hated him. I literally could not stand him. He was the worst. But um, oh. God bless him. But I could not stand him, and it just – it just made me pivot in my mind. It made me be like, you know, basketball was something for me that I was like, even in the worst situation, it didn't matter because I was playing basketball. And that opened my eyes to be like, hmm, I'm getting to the point where when I'm unhappy, basketball is not enough anymore. It just wasn't, it wasn't doing it for me anymore. And that was confusing because I'd never done anything else. So I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, what do I do? And then once I got into getting my master's, I was like, wow, there's other things that exist. There's other things outside of being an athlete. That was the first time in my life I wasn't an athlete. And in school, I was just like, wow, this is, I have time. I can go leave class and take a nap. What is this lifestyle? Luxurious. <laughs> um, but I was always funny. I, I was always funny. And that was one thing that I yeah. turned to because I was like, well, what's the only thing the only thing I've ever been doing longer than basketball is making people laugh. And that's just the truth. So I was like, how can I do that, but make money? And that took a while to figure out. But once I figured it out, 
I just didn't stop until I figured it out, kind of. And and you're a very funny stand-up com- comedian. How, what would you say to somebody thinking about starting comedy? Like, how would you start if somebody that was thinking about it? I know somebody that's thinking about it, by the way. My wife's kind of interested in trying it out. She should just do it. She just do it. And, like, the biggest thing is, like, don't care. So I, um, I have a bias because I people that know me and my parents always say like, I've never had that feeling of embarrassment. Like I really truly don't know what it feels like to really be embarrassed. Like, and be like, Oh my God, I'm so scared to do this. Me too. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I don't really. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm getting nervous. I'll have butterflies because I want to do well, but I've never really cared about right. like other people's reactions to things I'm doing. So my thought is to, if you can be delusional about that, and not care how bad it is, how much it sucks, or even just like, even if you do suck at first, consider it a joke. Like be like, this is funny that I'm even sucking this bad and people have to listen to me for five minutes. <laughs> whatever, you know, whatever you have to do. But I always say, just do it because yeah. at worst case scenario, you find out it's not for you, but the best case scenario, yeah. you get a niche of people or you get that one person that walks up to you after a show and was like, Hey, when you said that, I totally get that. Like that's that's all you need, and just do it. Just fucking do and it. I've heard people say that it, there's like a high, like it's a rush, like you get a high. For it's that. such. Oh my god, it's like any drug. Like you literally, when you, I rem, I will never forget my first ever laugh, like that first crack, and I was in a a place where it was not a huge like ceiling. It was like the laugh was so loud, and it like the whole it covered the whole space. I'll chase that for the rest of my life. I don't even care. Like that <laughs> feeling of when you say something and people get it and they're like, everybody laughs. There's nothing better than that in the world. Like, I don't even think like even watching my jokes on TV cannot compare to standing up and just reveling in your own like genius that you feel like is genius, but really it's just gross comedy or whatever. It's hilarious. It's the best. It's the best thing ever. Well, lucky for you, you live in New York City where you can uh, probably find a million gigs. Yeah, chase that feeling every day, yeah. But it ends up being <laughs> like, you know, it's so funny. You chase that feeling and then you go to these rooms like, and you're like, am I in New York? Is this Or is this just a back alley? But that's part of it too, you know? That's part of it too, being like, dude, I once did a show in a tuna can and it was like <laughs> the best. Like, this just, it just is what it is. Your boyfriend was with you when I met you. Uh, yeah. I wanted to... Yeah, shout out to that guy. <laughs> ben Smith, ben Smith he, is also a very funny comedian. He uh, and he also talk. and he also works at like a battered women's shelter. He told me. Yeah, he like yeah. So so <laughs> he like got this job recently. So we're both comedians. We met doing stand up in Baltimore, but um, yeah. when we got here, he's like super into helping people, very into it. So he works at a place that is for getting women and, and children, basically housing. So over COVID, yeah. his company bought um, a bunch of hotels and they use them as shelters. Yeah. Shout out to him for that, man. That's a great, uh, what a, that's awesome. Well, I mean, what a, you know, great job. It's a meaningful people. job. That's what I tell him all the time. Like it's it, cause it is hard work. I mean, some of the stories he hears and some of the things he, he deals with are very tough, but I'm, I, you know, I always say everything's material and dude, you're making a difference. Most of us are struggling at work and not making a huge difference. So at least you're yeah. helping people. 
And you said he was also a stand-up comedian, so maybe he can use some humor to help, uh, you know. Yes, he, he does. He goes to stand-up every night, and he's just like, dude, I got to talk about this. I don't even know. He's like, this is not even worth journaling about. I have to, like, tell somebody that this exists. I'm like, that's pretty good, because probably half of the stand-up comedians you're doing comedy for are close to homeless. So, honestly. So you make you make money as a as a television writer, and you said you babysit. Do you make money as a comedian? Is that a Luke? Is there any money in there? So I make money by the show. Like I get whatever they're paying me on the show, I make money. The goal. So what your goal is as a stand-up comedian is to get out in New York, work the scene, and then what happens is you'll eventually get hired by a club to where it's like, hey, uh-huh. every week you're gonna have shows here. And we're going to pay you. You're on our payroll kind of thing. So that's what everybody's hope you hope to get, you know, like New York comedy club, like the club you saw me at, um, the cellar, a Gotham comedy club in Manhattan, Brooklyn comedy club, all these things. They have a roster of comedians that they pay on their payroll, but you have to pay your dues very much in this city. And it's, uh, I love it because it's like, if, if you see somebody working a club, like they didn't bullshit their way there. They hustled. They did comedy every night. They did three, four shows a day just to get their name out there to, to try to work at the club. So it really is. You got to respect it. Because there's a lot of people in New York City that are probably trying to grind oh, on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of comedians. A lot. Oh, I bet. Some of, some of the comedians that we heard that night were not funny. Some were really funny. Thank God. <laughs> you know, what's funny is when, when I was going to first move to New York, I was so intimidated because I was like, God, New York comedy. Good God. I don't know if I could stand up. I don't know if I could hold up. And then I got here and I was like, oh, you guys suck too. Good. <laughs> and it's like and i hate to say this but when you see someone that's not funny now i used to be like god why would they do that but now i'm like yes thank god you're here so that i can look okay to these people thank you thank you in your career as a television writer what where, where do you go from here is there is there any upward mobility in your career yeah so so um i'm a staff writer um how okay. it usually works is like you become a staff writer, then you try to become a co-head writer, and then you can be a head writer. These are Those are positions where they kind of, um, if it was like a show, my show's a sketch show, but if you think about it in the, like a show like Succession, they have writers, and then they have like story editors, somebody that takes everything written and is like, okay, let's make sense of this. And then yeah. you have a showrunner. A showrunner is the person that makes sure the writer's room is moving on time, Deadlines are met. Everything is going as it as it's supposed to. Usually, head writers are showrunners, but showrun I mean, showrunners aren't also writers. They're not always, but that's how it works yeah. in our room. Um, what you hope is that after you write on a show, that you can find somebody that has an overall deal with a network or somebody to help you develop a show that you thought of. So they're like, hey. Oh. Um, would you like to pitch some of your ideas for shows that you thought of like to the network or to me, because I have a five year overall deal I have to fill. And you're yeah. like, sure, I got this idea, this idea, this idea, this idea. And you hope to go into development. Once something goes into development, it's still a hard chance, whether it'll make it to the actual like production and, and on TV, but that's, that's the process. It's like, you just pray 
you just hope. <laughs> really, you just hope. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think it's a, probably a little bit like what you were talking about in the comedy scene in New York. It's also just grinding and paying your dues, probably. It's yeah. grinding and paying your dues. And like what I tell people is more valuable. The, the thing that has been more valuable to me than any skill I have is the ability to network not always up, but to the people next to me. It's because not what you know, know it's who you know. <laughs> yeah, it's always who you know. And it's like yeah, the people yeah. that you're in the writer's room with, these are the people that are going to get overall deals. These are the people that are going to develop the shows. These people that you smoke cigarettes with after a comedy show, these are the people that are like, dude, you won't believe this. I'm, I'm on SNL now on the cast, dude. We're having auditions. You should come. Like, that's how you... And, you know, and it's like when you look at all these people like Adam Sandler, Chris Rock, Patrice O'Neill, they made it because they found a group and they all were hustling on their own. And then when they came together, like, dude, I got a movie deal. You want to be in this movie? Dude, I got this. You want to do this with me? It's like you have to build a village and a community and really, like, believe in it. <laughs> that's a grind. That's a grind, though, right? I mean, you know, I mean, you got to grind. Yeah, that's a lot of work. It takes Getting you know, up, suiting up, showing up, you know, and, and do. Yeah. Work. If I, you know, if I went home every day after babysitting and was like, oh, I'm just tired. You know, the kids were a lot today. It's like, I can't, if I want to do what I want to do, I can't do that. So when I get off at six or seven, like I might not have a show, but I'm going to a comedy club. I'm going to yeah, go right, watch right. somebody else's show and be like, Hey, I have tape. I could, you know, could I get on this show? Or, Hey, do you know who books this show? What, you know, whatever, or just oh. dude, you're funny. Like I, I liked watching the show. So it's always, it's always about networking, but also just showing that you support comedy and you respect comedy. Yeah. I love that. What are you, uh, what are you working on? Technically I'm not supposed to be working on anything right now because that would be wrong. And anybody that's writing right now is an asshole. But if I were writing right now, I would be writing a horror comedy show that I've been thinking about for a long time. And um, nice. I'm actually writing a show about my high school. Um, I went to an all girls school in Baltimore called Seton Keogh. And there's actually a Netflix documentary on it called the keepers. It's about a nun who was murdered. But anyway, okay. Um, okay. I'm writing a show about that school from our perspective of when I went there. And I'm also writing a couple horror comedy shows, but um, in this time, like I said, it's frowned upon to be working. Um, but when you're a writer, that's kind of all you can do. It's like kind of all I want to do. And um, really, I've been focused on getting my set, my stand up set really tight and together. So the writer's room, not being in the writer's room has allowed me to really like buckle down on my stand up and, and just try to be pr more professional and get to the next level and see what professional professionals are doing <laughs> yeah prop, props to you on your stand-up set by the way i uh when i saw you perform at that comedy club the new york comedy club there were i don't know how many comedian comedians in that lineup there were like 15 or you know, yeah it was yeah it was like 15 yeah, it was a lot and your set was great you were like one of the standout like good i you know there were quite a few funny ones in there that i liked a lot but you were definitely at the top of that list so Thank which you. is why i wanted to talk to you afterwards <laughs> so, I appreciate that. That's all I want to get to. Yeah. Making connections and, and being a standout, really. One thing I didn't ask you about that I wanted to touch on just really quick is uh, what about writer's block? Being a writer, how do you, how do you, um, is, you hear about writer's, writer's block? Is that a thing? Is that real? Oh my is God, that... yeah. 
Yeah. My God, you, you'll, the worst thing is when you get writer's block when you're in the writer's room. That's the worst. You, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you but, were talking about but, that production schedule. Oh my God. You know, sometimes you don't have anything to pitch. And that's when, like, God bless every woman that I was in the writer's room with, Natalie, Vanessa, Corinne, John Terry, uh, Jazz, Naima. Um, I mean, you literally have to be like, guys, I have nothing to pitch today. And somebody might, by the grace of God, be like, hey, I got this throwaway sketch I don't even know what to do with. Do you? Would you be interested in this? And then you flip it to your way and, you know, you, you fix it that way. But with stand-up, when I'm trying to write new jokes, I go home or I go talk to my friends because that is where my material comes from. My material is always bits of conversations turned into jokes or things that I've went to turned into jokes. So when I get writer's block with stand-up, I know, okay, I got to go experience something because otherwise I don't have anything to pull from right now. And with writing in a writer's room is it's turn to your neighbor and be like, dude, what experience have you been through in your life that I can flip in my crazy mind? Because I'm at a loss. I have nothing left and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. What would you say to a young person that's thinking about getting into like showbiz, media, writing? Um, I would say do it and don't, don't dwell on how you're going to do it. Uh, Just make the quickest move you can possible as far as what I used to do is look up people that you want to do what they do. Look up, you can literally go on Wikipedia and I know it's not the best source, but for me it has been look up how they got there. What did they do? Did they take classes? Did they take acting classes? Being a production assistant, a PA on projects. That's just helping pick up and move shit. If you want to get into the business, like just find things where you can be like, Hey, um, I want to be on set one day. I want to be a director. Does anybody need PA assistance? I can go carry stuff around the set and just learn, like just be around people that are doing what you want to do because you'll eventually get into those spaces where you can gain experience. Amazing. Amber, uh, I think we're at the top of the hour. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to say to people listening about yourself, your life, your process, your work? Um, No, but everybody, please, if you are in New York City, um, Amber Singletary, my Instagram is ambdotcomm.com. If you want to come to a stand-up show, I post about it on my Instagram. And really, please just support live comedy and support the writers in the writer's strike. So the best place to find you is through Instagram if somebody's looking for you? Yes. I will post a link to your Instagram in the show notes so anybody that's listening to this can go on there and please follow Amber. And uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah. And if you're in New York, you should definitely go check her out because she's really, really fun. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Subculture and thank you to Amber Singletary for coming on and talking to me about your life, your work and your process. Uh, That was super interesting. I'm going to post a link to Amber's socials in the show notes below. If you enjoy listening to the show, please follow, rate and review me on the platform of your choice and I'll see you guys all out here again next week on Subculture. Thanks for listening.